My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people are my friends, just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Be careful what you don't wish for. That's all I can say about a day when the fundamentals matter again. Not some broad sweeping thesis or some speculative nightmare. That's why I'm encouraged, even though the Dow lost 165 points, S&P shed 0.29%, NASDAQ declined 0.03%. Believe me, it was much worse during the middle of the day. Those numbers were in the red, but make no mistake about it. Today was a victory for the rational bulls. For almost a year now, we've been gripped by a ridiculous level of speculation around here. We've had a two-track market. There are the people who buy their favorite assets at any price and the people who make broad, sweeping bets based on top-down economic analysis. Call them the crazy market and the somewhat sane market. The crazy market wishes that we'd all convert to their errant ways. These are the people who somehow decided that GameStop is the most important stock in the universe, with the possible exception of AMC, two companies with dying business models. GameStop's being left for dead by digital downloads, while AMC struggles with a world where people don't want to risk catching new COVID variants while they watch Godzilla versus Kong. They love their cryptocurrencies. They'll buy anything coin from Bit to Doge, although they think that Ethereum is superior because it's favored by people who buy non-fungible tokens. Basically, an emperor with no clothes seeks to buy no clothes. <laughs> These are the same jokers who ridiculed me when I cashed out most of my Ethereum and Bitcoin near the peak in order to buy a 120-acre farm, a true non-fiat Asset, a fungible, more than token slice of land that can hold up even if all my fellow landowners are borrowing gigantic amounts of money to finance similar purchases. Speaking of borrowed money, if you want to know why something like Bitcoin can plummet so fast, it's because many people in totally unregulated fashion, of course, because the SEC doesn't know anything about it, borrow huge sums of money to buy these things. So when the momentum turns, well, then they're forced to liquidate. At least with land, you got something tangible, even if the price collapses. You can grow crops on land, maybe cannabis, a dynamite cash crop if it becomes legal nationwide. Needless to say, I feel pretty good about ringing the register on Bitcoin and Ethereum, of course, at much higher levels. Hey, come on, I shared every bit with you, every bit. There's a reason I always tell you to take profits while you have them. And I've been very, very clear about doing so because I don't want you to get hurt. Now, the speculative cohort has a champion, and her name is Kathy Wood, who runs ARK Invest and pushes what I call the Woodstocks. <laughs> Two in one show. These were some of the biggest winners of 2020, but they're getting crushed this year, in part because it's a different market. Many of the Woodstocks have real issues, though, uh, like Iovance, which plunged 40% today when its CEO resigned not long after the company announced that its lead experimental drug was delayed. The CEO is leaving to pursue other opportunities. I hope they're good ones. No need to worry about the fact that Kathy Wood's the largest shareholder of iAvance because she's invested in a host of other companies, some of which are connected with Bitcoin, although not always in a positive way, like Tesla, which has said they're not going to take payment in cryptocurrency anymore. Never mind the crypto collapse partially caused by Musk about face this morning. Wood told Bloomberg that Bitcoin's going to $500,000. $500,000. 
Uh, the, the trillion dollars it lost in value today alone, uh, I, I thought that was significant, but maybe, maybe that was just a, a pimple. What a relief. I feel better already. Now, I guess that it's not a problem that it's down 39% from its highs in just over a month, in part because Elon Musk going from uh, proselytizer-in-chief to critic-in-chief. Kathy Wood remains unmoved. Wood told Bloomberg she expects, and I quote, Elon will come back and be part of that ecosystem. Was that like Shane coming back or something? You can't make this stuff up. Today, this crazy speculative track broke down. But what about the second track, the same track? The people do exhaustive homework to get an edge. Rather than loading up on cryptocurrencies that rise or fall based on the ratings of a particular Saturday Night Live episode, cryptocurrencies that make the U.S. dollar look like it's actually backed by gold, these people bet on individual stocks because they like the fundamentals. It's actually called investing. Today was a banner day for investing. It started with a Target conference call starring CEO Brian Cornell, where he outlined how he's got the brands people want, house brands with huge margins, think uh, Cat and Jack, along with the supply chains that uh, other retailers and retailers envy because he was ready for the great reopening. We got all this stuff from shipped. You know, I know. Anyway, the e-commerce platform consumers uh, need, which can give you uh, same day up shipped creek with a paddle. Oh, no. Anyway, um, it, it finally, the service, they give you the service that people crave, okay? Because Target pays more, has terrific loyalty, and historically has given back more to the community than any other retailer. Have you ever tried to hit them up for anything? I once called them for some of the charities I run. They're always like, hey, do you want this stuff wrapped or not? Like, no one even gives me anything. They'll wrap it. Cornell's conference call is a primer on how to handle the post-pandemic era, making it clear that as well as Target did during the lockdown, it's doing even better now that the great reopening is upon us. Thank you for saying that. His quick switch to fashion, particularly those fantastic house brands. Well, OK, well, then they're not for everybody. And this, he, he switched in cosmetics, too. This is brilliant. This is the stuff people need after a year where it didn't matter what you wore because you were stuck inside. That's how a stock closes up $12 on a very nasty day. This stuff, Cat and Jack. I mean, everybody loves this stuff. I'm not kidding. I find it tight. Or how about the rediscovery of individual tech stocks? Right. Cornell doesn't make bags that can stay on stands. Anyway, how about these uh, some moronic ETF that tries to lump a bunch of semiconductor names under the same umbrella, like they have less variety than potato chips, let alone microchips? That seemed to be a news story today. Well, it all started when Lisa Sue, the CEO of Advanced Micro Devices, announced a $4 billion buyback. I think she's sick and tired of watching her stock get dragged down by the weakness at arch rival Intel, which is always quick to badmouth AMD, even though AMD's eating their lunch. Then Broadcom got some lift after J.P. Morgan speculated they might have won a contract to develop artificial intelligence processors for Alphabet. Meanwhile, ADI, analog devices, the best of the everyday semiconductors, that go into all sorts of machines, including the Internet of Things, reported an incredible quarter. They torched the estimates, raised their forecast. Remember, the whole semiconductor complex has been decimated of late. It's been the worst group in this market, but other than the Woodstocks. But if things are really so bleak, how come there's all this good news? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little tired of hearing the bad news. I, as a matter of fact, if I hear more bad news, I'm going to come out in these tomorrow. Even better, a video game outfit we have one tonight, Take-Two Interactive, managed to beat the revenue guidance this year by a cool billion dollars without even introducing any huge new games. Of course, Take-Two's got a fabulous catalog, including Grand Theft Auto, the most successful entertainment property of our time. Sorry, GameStoppers. Unlike the old days, 
You don't need to buy the stuff from a store. You can download it right to your computer or your console. I think there's uh, no room for GameStop to break into digital distribution, but surely putative savior Ryan Cohen knew that when he staged a bloodless coup and took over the company to the cheers of the Wall Street Bets mob. Yeah. Do you detect a bit of peak from Jimmy Chill? Don't worry. I'll be right back at you with all the positives about Oatly, the Swedish oat milk company that's about to come public with a $10 billion valuation because they, whoever they is, told us they're the most successful alternative milk company of all time. I guess it depends on what you mean by successful. Four years ago, Dean Foods sold White Wave, the soy and almond milk business, to Danone for, for $12.5 billion. At the time, White Wave had $4.2 billion of annual sales. Last year, Oatly only had $421 million in sales, about a tenth of the numbers White Wave was putting up when it got acquired for roughly the same price. I guess the joke will soon be played on us. They always are, aren't they? Here's the bottom line. It's nice to see homework get rewarded with excellent gains while hubris and chance finally strike out. So I wouldn't be too worried about the ongoing speculative meltdown as long as you own some sanity stocks to go with your crypto GameStop Ether AMC non-fungible SPAC. Let's go to Robert in Ohio, please. Robert! Booyah, 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 Mr. Kramer. It's uh, Mailman Bob or Robert from Ohio. How you doing? Man, man, I always thought that that was you, and I'm glad you've checked in. What's up? Hey, can you give me your analysis on the world's great, biggest gold miner, Newmont? Yes, sell Newmont and buy gold, G-O-L-D, buy Barrick. I, I like Newmont, but Barrick is better, and uh, Newmont's good, and the gold stocks are red hot. And I'm going to go to Ohio. You know what we're going to do? We're going to pound a couple. <laughs> Mark in Florida, Mark. Hi, Jim. It's a great pleasure to speak with you. Right back at you. Now, now that they've decided to sell $1 billion in common stock and $500 million in debt, Lithium Motors has plummeted today. However, the stock was steadily declining since I bought it at three ninety-five three weeks ago. Do you think I should cut my losses, buy more at this level? I, I or think you should actually uh, look. Uh, CarMax was downgraded today. A lot of people feel that this is the peak. Um, for the for this used car business, I think that's wrong. I think Lithia is a very good company based where my daughter used to live. I know them. I think they're good. I'd be a buyer, not a seller. All right. I wouldn't be too worried about the ongoing speculative meltdown as long as you own some sanity stocks. And by the way, just, you know, steel and copper went down today. Hey, maybe it's OK, right? I'll make money tonight. Could the economic reopening turn trash into treasure in the market? I'm taking a closer look at an under-the-radar player in the waste management environmental services space to see if it's worth considering. Do not miss my exclusive with a new one. It's called GFL. Then, do take two earnings have you doing a double take? With the stock moving higher today as opposed to lower, as a lot of people thought it would, I'll find out if it's game on for shareholders. And Cisco reported after the bell tonight, and CEO joins me in an earnings exclusive. Don't give up the ship. I don't think it was nearly that bad. And I want you to stay with... Not there. Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When the economy's boom, you know what else booms? Garbage. The stronger the economy, the more trash we create. And that's especially true for construction. 
So this is a good time to get some exposure to the waste management space. And last year, we got a brand new way to play it. GFL Environmental, the fourth largest waste management player in North America, but also the fastest growing one thanks to its roll-up business model. Since 2007, GFL has made a series of acquisitions, transforming itself from a single solid waste transfer station with four trucks into a major operator that's on track to generate $4 billion in revenue this year. Here's a Canadian company that came public in early March of 2020, right before COVID effectively shut down the IPO market. After tumbling from a deal price of $19 to $12 at its lows less than a month later, GFL surged and higher ran all the way to just under $32 today. And that's after pulling back roughly five bucks over the past six weeks. So could this thing have more upside as the U.S. and Canada continue to reopen Canada a little bit behind us? Let's take a closer look with Patrick DeVigi. He's the founder, chairman, CEO of GFL Environmental and get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. DeVigi, welcome to Mad Money. How are you doing, Jim? I am doing well, Patrick, and I want to thank you for coming on. First time on Mad Money. So why don't you give us a flavor of what your business is and how it's going? Sure. It's, you know, it's been a great ride, just like you said. Again, founding the company really in 2007 with an idea to become a small regional player up in Canada in the Toronto, Ontario market. Uh, now building a business, to, you know, trending to closer to $5 billion in revenue, operating in nine provinces in Canada and 27 states in the U.S. Um, it's been an excellent run. And like I said, that's how most people were in the early innings of a long baseball game here. All right, so Patrick, I remember in the 80s when waste management at that point, Browning first, too, built, uh, bought uh, many companies t- time after time. I had thought that almost everybody has been bought. Clearly, from your track record, there are many good companies still to be had. Absolutely. I mean, I think when you look at the demographic of the business owners in our space today, you know, a lot of baby boomers, a lot of immigrants that came into Canada and the U.S., you know, average age of the seller today is between 55 and 70 years old. And, you know, a lot of their kids have moved on to become professionals and didn't have a lot of aspirations to be a garbage man or a garbage woman like their parents. And that's just creating a very good dynamic today and a good uh, good buyer's market and a good seller's market just coming from this market that's so, you know, highly fragmented. I mean, if you look at Canada today, you know, one third of the market is done by the large majors and then two thirds is done by the small mom and pops. And you look at the U.S., it's roughly divided 50-50. So, you know, we continue to see a huge opportunity uh, moving forward here to continue consolidating the market, both in Canada and the U.S. In the heyday of uh, of waste management, their business now, their stock's been terrific because a lot of uh, businesses from construction. But there used to be people literally waiting around the landfills trying to buy the copper, the excess copper. Some of the materials are being thrown away are in short supply. Are you able to make a business of the things that are refuse? Absolutely. I mean, if you look what's happened really late 2017 into 2018 and the recycling business and how that's evolved over time as China closed the doors to a lot of the streams that were coming in, you know, real business has been made um, in the North American market and the models completely flipped on its head by where, you know, we have now gone to a processing model by where we're charging a fee to process the materials and making a great return on that. And I think when you look at how that's evolved and continues to evolve, that'll be a, a very good sustainable model for the future now. All right. No, we don't talk nearly enough about Canada and our country, but how is it going? Where are you? People just keep saying, oh, well, it's behind America. There's got to be more to it than that. I mean, absolutely. You know, Canada, a little bit slower at most things in general. Um, you know, I think that's what's the, the interesting opportunity in GFL for sure. I mean, I think if you look at our Q1 results, performed exceptionally well 
um, even in even in light of the fact that Canada is, you know, probably six months six months behind the reopening in the U.S. I mean, we were we were slow to get vaccines, and you know, the healthcare system that everybody praises so much here, you know, really failed us on, on multiple levels, just in terms of capacity restraints and issues. Um, but you know, I think where we look now, you know, we've turned the corner on the vaccination program. Vaccines are here. Um, you know, I think we've passed almost a 50% point of individuals that got their first shot and, you know, basically vaccinating 1% of all eligible people per day. So I think over the course of the next 30 days, we should be closer to trending closer to 75%. And then we'll be into a sort of full reopening like we're seeing in the U.S. today. Um, and then we'll be, you know, where, where you guys started back in January. I think we're going to pick up here in July and August. Well, that's good. We're going to follow your country. Now, one last thing. In the conference call, you said it's, it, it, it's the boom of 2018 was actually, uh, it was tougher to find help, tougher to get people then. You guys are having no problem really finding help, uh, getting trucks. Things are in pretty good shape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, inflation is, you know, moderate inflation is definitely a good thing for our business. And, you know, when you look at the pricing and volume dynamics in the industry, I mean, uh, industry continues to consolidate, continues to get more price. And, you know, you look at the labor force, it's always a constant issue for us. But, you know, finding the right talent and recruiting the right talent and retaining them is, you know, paramount for us. And we continue to focus on that. And at this point in time, you know, I think we're, we're in great shape and I think we're, we're set up for a very healthy recovery here. Well, we made a lot of money for people in waste management. We want to follow your company closely because it is a terrific industry. Patrick DeVigi, founder, president and CEO of GFL Environmental. Nice to meet you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Look, these businesses are great businesses. They generate a huge amount of cash. And now that you have things that are worth money in the landfill, there's another way to make money. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up. A nation cries out for a summer of fresh air and a little of that human touch. But that didn't stop a pandemic play like Take-Two Interactive from delivering a knockout quarter. Kramer punches in a cheat code with the CEO next. Yep, looks like they figured it out. Wall Street finally got wise to Take-Two Interactive's M.O. Virtually every quarter, the video game company reports a set of unbelievably good numbers, then gives extremely conservative guidance so that they can crush the estimates the next time they report. Take-Two is a textbook practitioner of conservatism, also known in some cases as UPOD. They underpromise. Good. Therefore, they overdeliver. I like that. Now, they've done this for years, and the stock often sells off in response, like the last quarter. But last night, they ran the same play, and this time the buyers were not deterred. Take-Two delivered a monster 91-cent earnings speed off a 97-cent basis, much higher than expected, bookings up 8% year-over-year. It's almost like they couldn't hide how great things were. Yes, they still gave incredibly cautious guidance for the current fiscal year. That's what they do. Initially, the stock got hit because the earnings forecast was much slower than expected. But this time, management told a great story about huge new releases next year and then after. To get there, they need to spend a lot of money on technology and talent. I like that. You know what? For once, investors decided to take to earn the benefit of the doubt, which they always should have, which is why the stock probably finished the day up nearly uh, 7%. Oh, it was a bad day. I think it's got more room to run. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with the bankable Stratal Zelnick, the chairman and CEO of Take-Two Interactive Software. Learn more about the quarter and his vision for the future of not just his company, but for the industry. Mr. Zelnick, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. All right, so Strauss, uh, when I saw the headline numbers and the usual headlines, I said, oh, not so good. But you told a story this time that I have to tell you went from being a uh, 
a year-to-year to actually, I'm going to say, a decade story. So rather than go into the nitty-gritty of what happened this quarter, I want to go to page eight of your brilliant deck. billion global video games, 28 billion hours of gameplay, 495 million estimated size global esports. Doesn't that transcend the note that you said, which says moderation of trends that benefited us could come into play? There's no doubt that interactive entertainment is now the number one entertainment vertical. And as I've said before, I think it's early days. At the same time, we are coming out of the pandemic. Undoubtedly, while people were sheltering at home, they had more time to devote to entertainment. So we want to be realistic that leaving your house now may mean that the demand is somewhat moderated. At the same time, as you said, the results we've had so far are extraordinary, and we have a great outlook for for the fiscal year we're currently in with 21 new titles coming to market including four immersive releases. We're, we're really excited about that. And I think I know I'm on to your game after 15 years of studying you. The way <laughs> I should analyze your company is by talking about the expanding development capacity, namely on page six, the number of people that you have a headcount. Most people want to cut heads, Strauss. You're proud of going from 4,301 to 5,046 people. Why are you so proud of that? Well, you're right. I mean, our, our three-part strategy is be the most creative, be the most innovative, and be the most efficient. And we don't believe in adding headcount for headcount's sake. And, and pound for pound, we're a highly efficient company. That said, in the last year, we brought on 700 new developers. We need those developers to bring 60 titles to market in the next three years, uh, which we hope will yield sequentially greater results in fiscal 23 and 24. And we expect to set new records in that time period. You mentioned 24. There's a lot of buzz about that's going to be the next Grand Theft Auto. Of course, you can't confirm or deny that, correct? We let the labels talk about upcoming releases. However, we do have a lot going on now, and we do talk about that. You know, we set another record in the past year for Grand Theft Auto Online, for example. Um, and total recurrent consumer spending at the company was up 48% in fiscal 21. But should I be worried? Uh, against our show is the uh, opening of an event that didn't even matter a few years ago, correct? NBA uh, eSport. How much does it mean to you? Because NBA 2K has been pretty good. NBA 2K has had another great year. It's the, the, the first title that we built from the ground up for Gen 9 platforms. We've sold them more than 10 million units. And you're right. Thank you. The season starts today for the NBA 2K League. We're incredibly excited for the fourth season. As I've said before, uh, this is early days still for esports, despite the hype around it. It's not a significant contributor. It's also not at all a significant cost. Um, we think Brendan Donahue is doing a phenomenal job building the league. We're really excited about what this season will bring over the next six weeks. So uh, come watch. Okay, now I have to ask you, and I will, I will, because I love NBA, especially right about now. We have a bet internally that even though you signed Tiger Woods, and then subsequently got hurt, that the numbers for Tiger Woods are up big, much bigger than we think for your, for your PGA, for your golf game. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of hope, uh, obviously. We think that golf is going to be huge for us. The title that we released already is sold in over 2 million units. People love the game. We think it's early days for where golf can go, and we're investing heavily in it. We also bought uh, HB Studios, uh, the studio that actually makes the game. And that is a reflection of our commitment in addition to our long-term relationship with Tiger Woods. 
Okay, Stress, you spend a lot of time, it's actually uh, other people in your organization, the conference call, talking about uh, how much is downloaded and how much is basically sold physically. Does that matter? Because again and again, you talk about how digital is projected to represent 87% in line with last year. Do we, should we care whether something's bought at GameStop or something's uh, downloaded? Not really. Uh, And I think the point you're making is one we try to make over and over again, which is we need to be where the consumer is. We can't vote. The consumer votes. If the consumer wants to buy a physical good, we'll be there. If the consumer wants to go direct to our company, we have a direct-to-consumer platform. If the consumer wants to go to Amazon or Walmart, you name it, uh, we're there. It's our job to be there. That said, uh, undoubtedly, our margins are higher with digital distribution than they are with physical distribution. And to the extent that the business moves towards digital distribution, which I believe we'll continue to do, that is a, a significant benefit uh, from a margin perspective. All right, that's one of the reasons why I think GameStop better come up with a new model. Okay, last question, Strauss. Uh, why give guidance if you beat guidance by a billion dollars? <laughs> well, I don't know that anyone could have expected what happened the last year. I, we certainly couldn't. And uh, look, it's, it's kind of you to note that more often than not, we beat our guidance. We really do call it as we see it. And then we work really hard to exceed expectations. We believe in, you know, hoping for the best, um, but planning for the worst. Well, you and Netflix are the two. And I think that's very good company. Strauss Zelda, take two interactive chairman and CEO. Great to see you again. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I like a lot of people to come in in this in the set. And my favorite is Strauss. One day, maybe you'll be here. In the interim, just go buy the stock. Man Money's back after the break. Okay, what just happened to the stock of Cisco? After a big run over the last six months, the stock's now going down in after hours because the networking equipment gave what many people think is not-so-hot guidance when it reported its results. The actual quarter is quite good. Nice top and bottom line beep. The earnings forecast came in a tad light. I, though, am not discouraged. Cisco should be a big winner as enterprise tech spending comes back with a vengeance this year. The conservative guidance doesn't surprise me at all. They're facing the same supply chain challenges as everyone else in the world where we don't have enough semiconductors. I think they're being cautious until they get better visibility on that front which means this pullback is what I call a classic buying opportunity. So let's dig deeper with Chuck Robbins. He's the chairman and CEO of Cisco Systems. Learn more about the quarter his company's prospects. Mr. Robbins, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, thank you. It's great to be here, and uh, you're spot on. You know, we're really proud of what the team's accomplished this quarter. I think uh, we did a great job. They did a great job. We had revenue growth, good EPS. Uh, our outlook on revenue is, is quite good, and uh, as you notice, we saw... 10% order growth, which was the biggest, uh, the highest order growth we've seen in almost a decade. So, uh, and it was very consistent across the board uh, and uh, really proud of what the teams have accomplished. Well, let's talk about that. I've been following Cisco. Chuck, I'm going to date myself since Mr. Mordridge. So, you know, I've not been around since before John Chambers. I have always considered your stock uh, to be a stock that trades on order growth, not on earnings per share. So therefore, I was surprised to see public sector order growth, uh, customers saying about 11%, commercial 16 service provider 17 Something's in the works here that is the stock is not talking about. Well, Jim, you know, we've talked about these major market transitions that are occurring and the fact that we didn't participate in the web scale segment five years ago. And we've worked hard. We've built new technology, driven innovation, designed our own new silicon, and we've seen success now in the web scale space. We've had six consecutive 
quarters of double-digit growth in the cloud provider segment, from mid-teens to triple digits in any given quarter. And this past quarter, we saw double-digit order growth in the carrier segment. We saw double-digit growth uh, in the uh, cable segment. So it was very consistent across the board. And it's really being driven by the 400 gig build out for higher bandwidth, as well as you know the, the, the early days of the 5G build out that we knew was coming and is finally upon us. You told us from the beginning, Chuck, 5G consumer is not what you're about. It's 5G enterprise, then subsequently delayed because of COVID. People are starting to go back to the office. Yes, there's still people, like Greg Hayes is saying in Raytheon, 50% of people might have come back. But I don't know, in a lot of businesses that you have big customers, they're coming back. What will that mean for enterprise spending in Cisco? Well, Jim, we're seeing it now. Over the last couple of quarters, we've seen significant investment in next-generation wireless infrastructure to be ready for their employees to come back to the office. And we said that as you load these wireless networks, they're going to need campus refresh underneath them. And we've seen exactly that. We've seen the Catalyst 9000 platform, four consecutive quarters of increasing growth sequentially. And uh, we're really seeing the impact of this hybrid work model, the preparation for hybrid work and the return to office. I think we're seeing it. It seems to be that customers are, are absolutely believing this is going to occur and they're investing into it. Well, Chip, what's to explain the fact that the Americas really weren't that strong versus other areas that, frankly, I would have expected to be weaker than America? Well, if you think about what we saw in Asia, is Asia was the first to go into the pandemic. So they're, they're coming out heavily uh, investing. In the Americas, we have, uh, we have Latin America, which is continuing to struggle but we saw significant strength across commercial, across public sector, and across service providers. So we think that it's going to continue improving over the next several quarters. Can you explain to us better than I think you can because you speak, you're a straight-speaking person. When you hear supply shortage, semiconductor shortage, now, first of all, there are many semiconductors that are actually in glut, or we have way too many of. There's a particular group that we seem to be in short supply of. You are a big customer. Why can't you just call these guys and say, listen, I want you to work 24-7. I don't want you working, no. I want you in Sunday. I want you in Saturday. I want those chips. Or are they going 24-7? It doesn't matter. Well, well, they are. I mean, I think we should recognize that everyone in this space is working very hard to deliver more capacity. And I think what you saw with our guide on the EPS line was effectively us leveraging our ability to go, uh, leveraging our financial strength to go position ourselves more effectively uh, with these suppliers to actually revise agreements to make longer term commitments so that we could optimize our ability to take care of our customers. And this, this really is, it's a short term issue. And we just chose that we didn't want to slow down our momentum that we feel in the business right now, which is probably the, the, the best momentum we've seen in years. Uh, and we want to take care of our customers. We want to help them during this time because, A, we, we just want to take care of them. But, B, we also think that that helps us with our relationships long term if we're thinking about them and not our short term issues. Oh, so that would be, if I take it right, a short term hit to your profitability in order to be able to lock people in longer term. Well, in order to be an incredible partner for them that they want to do business with for a long term. How about that? All right. That's well. Yeah. Look, I'm not a diplomat. You are. <laughs> you have to be a diplomat. You're from Cisco. I mean, in the time left, I want to give you a second to talk about how somehow uh, good people win. Uh, you're voted pretty highly in the place that young people want to work, that people want to work now these days, right? Yeah, you know, Jim, we, recently we were – we were selected as the number one place to work in the United States by Fortune and Great Place to Work. 
And uh, it's reflective of w the wonderful people we have and the culture we've created and, and probably reflected of how we've, we've reacted and taken care of our teams during COVID. Uh, it's been complicated, obviously. And the other shout out I want to give, Jim, is that uh, our supply chain team, two years in a row, Gartner just released their top 25 supply chain in, in any, comp any industry. And uh, our, our team was number one for two years in a row now. So we're really proud of what they've done. And that's what gives us confidence to be able to navigate these issues. Well, that's what long-term success is going to be built on. Thank you so much, Chuck Robbins, Chairman and CEO of Cisco. Great to see you. It's great to see you, Jim. Thank you, Chuck. Okay, Mad Money will be back into the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It's time for The Lightning Round. What is that? And then The Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Ski that. It's over The Lightning Round. It's over Tristan in California. Tristan! Jimmy, too. What's up, man? Booyah. Hey, man. this is Tristan, first-time caller. Oh, um, I like first-time callers, to... always. What's up? Hey, I want to pick your mind about Serence, ticker CRNC. What's your take? Man, that's just still one more software company that, frankly, you know, look, what am I going to say? It, it, software development companies, I mean, Microsoft has a ton of those. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. Let's go to Dave in Ohio. Dave. Hey, Jim. How you doing? First-time caller. Okay, Dave. Speak to me. Um, well, I live in the Lordstown area, about four miles out, and with all the car manufacturers now going to EV, uh, the supply and demand is going to be crunched with the lithium. At least that's the view that I'm having it. What do you think of LAC? You know, I, in the end, I think that, that, that while that is a great lithium company, I don't think it, it's kind of like I feel about MP materials. I, I, it's a yawn for me. I want great innovation. I, want, I don't want minerals. I want innovation. And I just don't see it happen there. I need to go to Obina in Maryland. Obina. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. First time caller from Maryland. All right. I've been listening to your show for the past one year. A friend of mine introduced me. I'd like to find out about um, Blink Project. You know, I, I know that everyone wants EV, but I feel kind of like it's yesteryear that you have to recharge. I think people saw that Lordstown stock went up almost 50%. But you know what? We're going to let this area cool down. Tina in Georgia. Tina. Hi, Dr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. You're quite welcome. I am a uh, longtime listener to both your programs, and your advice and information have been a great help to me. Oh, thank, thank you, you. So much. Thank you. You're welcome. I have been an investor for many, many years, going back to the Mark Haynes era. Oh. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, great guy. And beyond, I've been an investor for many years. Okay. Several months ago, I um, purchased Marvell on your recommendation. What is your outlook? Oh, well, I like doing it. Someone spoke about it today. It got a very big push from a brokerage firm, and I thought it was a really smart call. It basically said this is one that doesn't have consumer. It has a high-performance computing, data center, and extend, ex the enterprise 5G. And that sent the stock up. And I really thought the call was a good one. And I tried to accentuate it today with action alerts. And I thank you for those kind words. It's a good place. Uh, Damon in California. Damon. Hey. Hey, Jim. How you doing today? All right. How are you? Sorry about that. Thank you. The big fan of the show, by the way. Thank you. Call it. Call in regarding to ticket number Michael Jenkins. 
I got in at 18 cents last March, and I'm up 1,500%. Very adamant about this stock. More importantly, I was wondering, what's your security uh, What's your take on this company? Well, you know, it's a battleground. It's considered to be a tug of war between the longs and the shorts. If you say something good about it, you're, you're skewered. If you say something bad about it, you're crushed. Um, but I, here's what I say about it. It's called ka-ching, ka-ching. Please, please, I want you to take a substantial amount of your money out. I don't care if it's the greatest stock ever. You are, up, you are a winner, sir. You have gone. You got to the betting window, and it turns out you had the trifecta of three long shots. Please, please take some off the table. Miles in Florida, Miles. Good evening, Jim. Miles. The stock that I'd like to, <laughs> the stock that I'd like to ask you about uh, today is Oracle, O-R-C-L. I've been watching it for a couple of weeks now, and it seems to be outperforming the tech It seems sector. to be. It's been just a smoke show. I mean, I cannot believe that everyone's decided that Oracle is a great value here. Uh, it, it goes step by step, inch by inch, it goes higher. I'm not going to fight Oracle because I happen to like Safra Katz too much. Safra, who always tells me that one day she will come on. Safra, it's, I know it's my first 16 years. I got another 30. But why don't you pencil me in for next Thursday? Or maybe never. Let's go to Andrew in Texas. Andrew. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Andrew from Fort Worth. Okay. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm one of your Actions Alert members. And, man, that subscription is worth, worth every penny. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's very kind. But I was asking about a yield stock, a GSK, GlaxoSmithKline. Well, I mean, look, I don't think that yield is safe. Um, I do think that I, I truly want GlaxoSmithKline to do well. And I'm hoping that this new vaccine version that they did uh, with Sanofi is, is the one that works. Because right now, I feel like that that the stock's up, uh, mostly, I think, because you know, there's some activists. But otherwise, it's going to head back down. So I, I am not as big a fan of it as I once was. And I'm glad the stock's back. So maybe you can take a little off the table if things don't work out. That would be my suggestion to you. Andrew in New York. Andrew. Hey, Jim. Andrew here. Calling about CSGP CoStar Group. It reached an all-time high about a month ago, 950. Oh, my God. Everybody loves this thing. Uh, people love it. Um, I don't know. Uh, online real estate marketplace, there's so many. I'm down 10%. I don't know. I mean, my take is they should just come on before I opine. I thought this stock was too dear, too high. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, investors itch for action when the tape reads red. But don't feel blue. What doesn't kill you only makes you richer. Kramer explains next. What's the cause of today's sell-off, really? How much does the decline in the market have to do with the plummeting in all these sort of speculative assets, uh, cryptocurrencies, occult uh, stocks? Aren't they all intertwined? When you see Bitcoin and Ethereum and the SPACs and Tesla all rolling over, it's got to impact the whole market, right? Not so fast. There are two tracks to this market, the same one and the crazy one. And I know crazy when I see it, especially during National Mental Health Month. Usually these two tracks don't cross, but today the crazy ones manage to bring down everything. When tens of billions of dollars in an asset like Bitcoin get obliterated, people who own this stuff either pull in their horns and default to cash or they, for everything, frankly, or they just take the pain. 
Short term, that can weigh in on the market, but longer term, a collapse in speculative assets tends to be benefiting the boring stocks in the S&P 500. And most of that 500 are real boring. Right now, some of the people getting burned by crypto just take what's left of their money and leave the casino. They borrow a lot of the money anyway. When I said I sold a ton of cryptocurrency on this show and on my morning show, Squawk on the Street, used my gains to buy a farm. I caught a ton of flack from the community of speculators. Wow, are they mad at me. How the heck is a farm supposed to go up, you clown? It's not like there's a little flashing sign on the bottom of the TV screen that measures the value of farmland. I must be taking a beating. Heck, I'm not even growing corn to profit from sky-high crop prices. But like I said at the top of the show, the great thing about a farm is that it doesn't lose nearly 10% of its value in a single day like Bitcoin just did. And it was down a heck of a lot more at one point. More and more speculators are realizing these cold, hard facts. The hard facts are not great, which is why so many of them are giving up on everything right now, especially the ones who have borrowed money to play. And make no mistake, these speculative assets do all trade together. You can't deny the correlation between Bitcoin and the ridiculously pre-revenue SPACs and the Woodstocks, those turbocharged growth stories beloved by Kathy Wood, the best money manager of 2020, who's become one of the worst money managers of 2021. The crazy correlatives, they peaked, although Wood keeps buying them relentlessly on the way down. Feels like a desperate rearguard action to me, frankly. Her fun would be in better shape if she just waited for the dust to settle before, before pulling the trigger. That's not her style. Which brings me to a very important concept to end the show. The people who still have conviction in assets like the Woodstocks or cryptocurrencies or bogus non-fungible tokens or the SPAC and scams, they have no discipline whatsoever. When you see Kathy Wood endlessly buying the same names on weakness while selling what she smugly calls the cash equivalent names, actual volatile stocks, mind you, you're seeing the same behavior as the crypto believers. They love these assets at any price. One of my rules is that discipline should always trump conviction. And this is why. When the momentum shifts, your conviction will get you killed. Without the discipline to ring the register periodically, you're going to experience horrendous losses in this kind of situation. Discipline is why I sold most of my Bitcoin and Ethereum near the highs, even though I still like the story. Which brings me full circle to the impact on the markets. Like the dot-com collapse 21 years ago, as the speculative cohort gets blown out, the S&P 500 is actually a winner because the big fund managers spear the spillover. They're worried that the hot money will at best lie in its coffin or at worst, rise from the dead like a vampire. In other words, if you want to profit from the speculative breakdown, you dump the Nasdaq stocks that sell at a high multiple to sales, not earnings, but sales. You dump a good chunk of your cryptocurrency and especially the non-fungible tokens, which have no secondary market to speak of. Then you take your money and swap into the industrials and the mineral stocks or just the plain old consumer product companies that have a good dividend. And it'll work. Oh, let's throw in a little land to boot. As for stocks like Tesla, AMC, and GameStop, you got to go case by case. Tesla stock's too big to keep in the air, but AMC and GameStop are small enough that the Wall Street Bets crew can gun them higher with coordinated buying, which is what they like to do. Personally, I would actually rather own AMC, which has a great story as the world goes back to normal because it's the last man standing in the theater business. But it has a lot of debt, which may be a little too difficult for many of the betters to fathom. It's D-E-B-T, guys. GameStop doesn't have much going for it as a business. Take-Two Interactive reported fabulous numbers last night. They're making big money by selling games online and cutting out the brick-and-mortar middleman, meaning GameStop, which is no real business if the pace of digital downloads that Take-Two saw keeps up. 
Doesn't matter, though. There's a cadre of bulls who want GameStop higher, and they're willing to light their money on fire, think the doors, to make it happen. That said, without more stimulus checks, yes, stimulus, they'll eventually run out of firepower. It's fun to watch these guys try to hold the line, supercharged by the illogic of diamond hands and rocket chips. But emojis can only take you so far. Fun while it lasts, though. But the overall impact, we need to accept the beatdown in speculative assets for the greater good of the entire stock market. Just like April of 2000, if you buy the boring, solid companies in the S&P 500, including the big tech names, by the way, you should come out ahead. This speculative meltdown can temporarily weigh on the entire market, sure. But once the speculators get shaken out, I'm betting it's a win for the Dow and definitely the S&P. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Craver. See you tomorrow.